Sometimes God might ask you to do something crazy. He can do more than we can imagine, but those experiences are how we can truly understand His greatness. Today, Pastor Daniel will describe some of the offerings described in Leviticus and the meticulous way that the priests were required to execute them. It wasn't arbitrary. God has a reason for everything. Consider God's requests of you and how you can set aside your fear and step out in faith. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part three of his message entitled, So It Begins. In those groups when life starts coming out and struggles start coming out and all this stuff starts happening, all of a sudden you have people who are praying for you and then when you're doing it without community and you go off the rails, you just kind of go away and maybe nobody notices. But when you're in community, people start calling you and texting you and Facebooking you and tweeting you and, hey, what are you doing? Are you okay? I haven't seen you. And you haven't been in a group for a couple weeks. And then before you know it, people are after you. And they're after you because they love you and they know that if you're out of communication, it's probably because you're off the rails. And then you don't want to have to be the person that says, yes, I'm off the rails. And so you get yourself back together and you come back. And that's exactly what God wants. That's exactly what God wants. But that's also what we fear, isn't it, about groups? We fear letting people behind the veil. We fear people realizing that we're not perfect. But God already knew that we weren't. So brothers and sisters, get into that group. I just imagine Aaron and his sons as they're serving the people of God together, talking about what they're experiencing, being able to be there for each other, help each other bear the burden of life and what it is and how it is and what happens. And so brothers and sisters, get in the community with other believers. We're launching groups all the time here at Crossroads. Every ministry has got a groups component. When we're launching groups outside, just just, ha- just have them. They can be their co-ed. They can be all single people, all married people, married and single people. There's no rules. It's just about getting in community together. I know as a single person, I love being in, in groups with married folks. Because I, I did, you know, it's not like when you get married, all of a sudden you know how to do everything. You don't know how to do anything. So I learned all these things about a godly marriage from married, you know, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And they were explaining them. Like, I don't know what that's going to look like, but sounds good. I'll file it away. And then when I got married, I'm like, oh, yeah, they were right. And I was not ready. (laughs) But you learn that. And there's nuances. I mean, for those of you who are married, when you're in a group with single people, of course, according to 1 Corinthians 7, when you're single, the only person you're responsible to is the Lord. So when when you're single and God calls you to go to Afghanistan as a missionary, you say, okay, I'm going. When you're married, you have to ask your wife, hey, can we go to Afghanistan? She's like, no. 
The Lord spoke to you. He's going to speak to me too. The unencumberedness for a single person, they can go anywhere God asks them to go at any time. And so, but when you put those two together in community, God's blessed and honored in that environment because you have the zealousness and the, and the freedom of an unmarried person and then you have the commitment and blessing of marriage and you put them together and then there's, there's that work that God does in the midst of the two different sets of responsibilities but both seeking to honor the Lord. And there's also that place for just all singles in a, in a community group or all marrieds in a group or all women in a group or all men in a group or all younger people in a group. See, it doesn't have to be isolated or siloed. But in the midst of those community of relationships, you start growing a lot because people know you and they call you on your stuff. It reminds you of who, you're, who you are in Christ, not who you act like when you're left up to your own devices outside of the Lord. So it's just totally cool. I just imagine, and this is a family. Imagine doing ministry with just your family, Aaron and his sons. Oh, yeah, right? Talk about some serious discipleship. I mean, you guys watch Duck Dynasty. These guys are all in a business together. It's nuts what those guys are up to, you know? I'll be, I never watched it. Everyone talks to me about their beards. So I'm like, I'll check out those guys' beards. And I watched one of their episodes. It was cracking me up. They were trying to catch a lizard. The whole episode was these guys trying to catch a lizard. I'm like, this is, I don't even understand what's going on. You guys, some of you guys saw that episode, right? They had to call like the old guy. Because he's the guy, never mind, I'm off the rails. But imagine doing ministry with only your immediate family. (laughs) Talk about some serious turn up the fire discipleship, right? It's like you're doing it with your dad and your brothers, man. But they did it in community together. Now, look at what happens. So, So from there, in verse 12, it says, and he killed the burnt offering and Aaron's Sons presented him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar. Verse 13, then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. Verse 14, and he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. So it starts with the sin offering. Now it moves to the burnt offering. And remember, we saw all this already. So if, if you missed out on this, just go back in our archives. We took one Wednesday on a sin offering, one Wednesday on a burnt offering. We talked about the differences. Some of them are washed. Some of them were dismembered in all these different ways. So we've already been there. But he does the sin offering. Then he does the burnt offering. In verse 15, then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin, like the first one, verse 16, and he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt sacrifice of the morning. So after Aaron and his sons do their offerings for themselves, then again they go and they do the offering for the people, the burnt offering, the grain offering. Notice it says that they do it in the prescribed manner. And we always, every time we see this, we talk about this. We need to be simply obedient to God's word. It sounds so simplistic, but when push comes to shove in the revolutions of our lives, it's just not that simplistic, is it? It's hard to be obedient. God says, I want you to love and forgive. And you're like, well, no, I don't want to. God says, hey, I want you to honor me with your finances and with your body. And you're like, well, no, 
because I have other ideas about what I'm going to do. And every time I see in the Bible that someone is just simply obedient, I'm just like, I just like kind of make a mental note of it. Like, Lord, I want to just be simply obedient. I want to just do what you ask me to do. The simplest interpretation of a text. See, I always know that I'm in trouble when I start trying to find a way out of the simplest interpretation of a text. That's when I know that I'm pushing the envelope of what's acceptable. Because I don't like what it says, so I'm trying to find a way out of it. And that's always, like, that's a spot that needs to be looked at. Every time you're like, well, yeah, I mean, it might say that, but it really means this. Right? And we know that we do that because we don't want to just simply submit to the Lord. We want to be our own gods. We want to do it our own way with our own set of ideas. But God has a specific way he wants us to live. Think about it. God took the time and the energy to inspire human authors, not only to write all this stuff down, but for all this to be preserved so that we can understand his heart, not just from nature in a general way or just individually as God speaks to us, but in a book. Like God gave us a manual for how we are supposed to do life. And it's so easy to know it but not live it. And we just need to simply live it. We need to say, Lord, give me the grace to do what this says, to do what you ask of me. Lord, help me by your spirit to not be a rebellious child, but be a, a simply obedient child. I'm just going to respond to you. Your word says do this. I'm just going to do it. Your word tells me to do that. I'm just going to do it. And Lord, I'm going to trust that you are going to work it out. I know for a lot of people, I was just talking to someone about this today, about the idea of tithing and giving. And they're like, yeah, you know, I just, I just can't do it. I'm like, well, no, you can. You just don't want to. They're like, well, how can I? I'm like, well, do you, pay, do you put gas in your car? Sure. Well, how'd you do that? Well, I need gas in the car. Exactly. Do you put food on the table? Yeah. How'd you do that? Well, I just went to the store. Yeah. It's that easy. We choose what we spend our money on. We choose what we do. And I said, hey, listen, I'll be honest with you. I got saved. I read in the Bible you're supposed to give. 10% is the standard. There's a tithe. That's 10. An offering. That's above. Now, I don't do that to get saved. But if that's God's saying, I'm just going to do that. That's so what I was making 500 bucks a month. I just tithe 50 bucks. And then as you make more, you tithe more. And, and I just got used to it. And what I found is that when you're a tither, you start thinking about your money differently. Because that's not like, a, hey, I'll just get to it if I have it. You're like, I just do that. And then you start like, well, if I'm going to do this, this, and this, then I'm not going to be able to do that. And so you start making all your decisions based on how do I give God his first fruits because he deserves it. Because the only reason I'm here is because God's given me life and breath. The only reason I have a job is because God's given me hands and a mouth and a brain. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But it's, I'm only here because God's given me, so I'm going to honor him with it. And what's amazing is, is when you live your life that way, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I was just dumb enough to say, yeah, I'm going to just trust God. And what's amazing is I've never missed a bill in my whole life. That's my testimony. Never missed one bill. It hasn't always been on time. I've had to call some people sometimes like, hey, listen, I'm going to pay. It just I don't have it yet. You know what I mean? But you know what? Even that's a step of faith. When you call someone up and say, like, I, can't, I can't get this done right now, but can I have a week? And they're like, sure. Thanks so much for calling. And you're like, all right. And then God provides, and you're like, thank you, Lord. And you write a little note, thank you so much for being kind with me. And you're a good witness. See, we need to be naive enough to take God at his word. Because you know what happens when you take God at his word? You start to walk by faith. You know what happens when you walk by faith? 
you see how amazing God is. But when you walk by sight, you're limiting who God is in your life because you're not willing to try him. So we don't see all that God is. We see a silhouetted view of who he is because we're not willing to step out onto the water like Peter did and find out that you can actually walk on the water with the Lord. Because you're like, I can't walk on the water. All of my history tells me it's not possible, so I won't do it. Can you imagine after Peter walked on water, even for those first few steps, how much he must have boasted about that to the disciples? Which one of you guys walked on water? You know what I mean? Because you know Peter's got that kind of an attitude, right? He was all messed up in the Bible. I love him. So encouraging. Because Peter couldn't get anything right, but God had him walking on the water. And then when he started sinking, Jesus saved him anyway. So brother, sister, listen. Let's just be obedient to what God asked of us. And I realize God asks some really strange things sometimes. But when we step out with the Lord and we do what he asks us to do, you start to realize that God is really who he says he is. He really is that. And he really does those things. But oftentimes we don't give him the room to do it because we're like, Lord, I don't know if you're going to be able to work that out, so I'll work it out. And so we never see him for who he truly is. And you know what's also amazing is, is that when you trust God and you take him at his word, your faith grows because you see him do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever imagined he could do. And then all of a sudden you're just like, I, have a, I believe in a big God. I believe in a God who can do anything because I've experienced it in a million different ways. I have a million God stories. Like, I'll give you another a quick, quick story. I was in Guatemala with Pastor Ralph. Now, a lot of you know Pastor Mike Roselle and his wife Pam from Pottersfield Ministries, right? So Pastor Mike's got some great stories because he's lived all out for God for a long time. So we're down in Guatemala, and, and Pastor Ralph and I see Pastor Mike and his wife Pam in the airport, and Mike is hobbled. He's just like walking, he's got a grimace on, which is, if you know Mike, he's crazy, smiley guy, right? And we're like, what's up? He's like, oh, my back, I tweaked it, because he's a potter, so I tweaked it, picking up a big pot. So we're down in Guatemala, and we're like, man, we're going to pray for you. So we call him up at this pastor meeting, we lay hands on him, all these pastors, big time American pastors, we're all praying for him, and everyone's taking the mic and praying, and Mike's just there like this, but... He wasn't believing that God wanted to do anything. And you know what? Sometimes, you know, big-time pastors, we can't, you know, we don't have a direct line to God or something. So sure enough, we pray, nothing happens. The next day, a little guy from Guatemala shows up. And he says, just says, Pastor, Pastor, I need to pray for you. And Mike's like, look, you got to pray in Spanish, because if you pray in English, I won't believe it. So this little guy just, he, he gets his charismatic prayer on in Spanish, and straight up, Mike's pain went away. I got a, I got a text from him. I'm like, Hi, how's your back? He's like, I've done three shows. I don't have a bit of pain. How many times has God asked us to pray for someone we're a little bit too scared to do it? As if it's our prayer that heals somebody. See, God wanted to not use all these conference speakers, but a guy who was there who nobody knows who he is, just go lay hands on this guy, pray for him in Spanish. Mike didn't have a clue what he said. And Mike doesn't have any back pain. But when God asks you to do something crazy, if you step out with him, because God's crazy that way. He's looking for people just willing to step out and lay hands and say, I'm just going to pray. I mean, that's a cool story, isn't it? I watched it. I was just like, I saw him the next day. He wasn't grimacing at all. In verse 18, it says, he also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings, which were for the people and Aaron's sons 
presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar, verse 19, and the fat from the bull and the ram, the fatty tail, which corners what covers the entrails and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and they put the fat on the breasts. Then, the burn, then they burn the fat on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord as the Lord commanded. So again, we have another sacrifice. We have been talking about the, the breast and the thigh, and we were talking about how those are nice cuts of meat, and, and part of it was for a wave offering, and the priests were able to eat that. So again, all these different sacrifices are being offered in the custom the way that God asked them to do it. So we get through all of these, and look at what happens in verse 22. It says, Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. Verse 23, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now I'm here to tell you that that sounds awesome. Now imagine this. After all these sacrifices, what does is, what is the priest do? What does Aaron do? He lifts his hand toward the people and he blesses the people. Now I, I wrote a little Facebook devotion about this today, about being a blessing. So I was thinking about this. Our job as the priests of the Most High God is to bless people. And one of the most beautiful things that the priest did in Leviticus, and we do it here each service as we pronounce the benediction, God's blessing upon the people. And we do that because we believe that the job of God's priest is to bless people in his name, to proclaim the name of God, to invoke the name of God over people. That's what they do. And so it's awesome because Aaron comes out, he lifts up his hands, and he just blesses the people. He praises God and invokes God's name over the people, most likely number six. 24 to 27, we say it every single Sunday and Wednesday, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. They call it the high priestly blessing. And he pronounces that over the people. And then he comes down from the altar where he's offering. Now notice in verse 22, then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and then they came out and they blessed the people. I like that. So Aaron blesses the people. He comes down, him and Moses go inside, come back out and bless the people again. So the application for us is we need to just keep blessing people. That's the application. It shouldn't be like, yeah, okay, I bless you. Now get out of my face, please. I've had enough. I've blessed you. Now go. But they go in and they come out again. and they See, we should be continual blessings to the world and to the people of God. That we bless them, we go back into God's presence, and then we come back out again and we bless them again. Our job is always the same before the Lord, and that is to bless people. That's our job, to be a blessing. And being a blessing is not giving everybody what they want. We learn how to be a blessing by watching the Gospels, watching how Jesus moves through the Gospel. Being a blessing is not just doing what everyone wants you to do, because Jesus oftentimes just said no. No, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things because you don't really want to know. 
But being a blessing is getting a vision from God of who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be and coming on out and saying, this is who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be. So they come in to God's house. They come out blessed. And then look at what happens. And I love this. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings. So once again, we have God's acceptance of the sacrifice by fire from God's presence. And we've seen this in Genesis 2 with Abel, here with Aaron. We're going to see it with Gideon in Judges 6, with Manoah in Judges 13. We're going to see it with King David in 1 Chronicles 21, Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7, Elijah, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings chapter 18. The visible, tangible fire of God comes and just consumes the whole, off, the whole offering. Bam. Just like that. God's putting his stamp of approval of what has just begun. And then notice what the people do. When the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. My guess is they probably shouted, holy guacamole or something to that effect. Like, whoa, whoa, Lord. And then they prostrated themselves. That's what they did. They shouted and they fell on their faces. Now, I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, I believe God wants us to worship like that. I think we need to start shouting a little bit in God's presence. And I think sometimes we just need to fall on our faces before the Lord. I don't want to be overly dramatic, and some of you like that kind of more wild-style worship. But man, when God's presence is heavy in a place, I mean, the Apostle John, the Apostle John in the presence of an angel is prostrating himself in the book of Revelation. And we stand before the living God. And I'm here to tell you, I believe that sometimes I think we take worship in God's presence a little too casually. A little too casually. And, I mean, you can't force it. And, and listen, I've been at churches where they get all, you know, everyone gets all worked up, and before you know it, everyone's doing crazy stuff. But God's really just like, well, you guys don't need me for this. This is just a big show for you guys. And we got to be careful. We don't want to be emotional or hysterical just because we think that that's what God's presence is. But would to God that God manifests his fire in our midst and that we find ourselves shouting and on our faces before the living God. And the idea of being prostrated on your face before the Lord, what that speaks to us is that our submission, our submission, that, that we're saying, Lord, I, I'm not worthy to stand in front of you. I am just submitted and humbled before you. You are God and I am not. And I believe that when God appears and when God's glory becomes manifest, in his people, then humility is the only proper response. Because in the glory of his majesty, in the lightness of his perfections, we see ourselves for who we really are. And we just say, Lord, we're your servants. Jesus is real. Today, we were encouraged to worship. Pastor Daniel explained how there is a balance because when God manifests in our midst, there's rejoicing. But humility is the proper response, not engaging in a performance for entertainment or show. 
Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more about this process of cleansing, how it was for the priests in Leviticus, and how it applies to us today. Rebellion requires repentance. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Cleansing. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is real. My life is no typical.